lot of people confuse character with reputation, but they're more like cousins than they are twins. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Reputation is on the outside and what other people think you are. Character is on the inside and what God knows you are. In this series, we want to unleash the good in our inside. In a world that has abandoned the virtues and values that matter, this series calls us to return to a simple message. Character still counts. We hope you enjoy. Hey, it was great. I want to say thank you to Charlotte and her team for leading us in worship this morning. It's been a while since, uh, it's been quite a while since Charlotte's been here to lead worship, so it's always great having her. Uh, thank you to all of you that came yesterday to help pack uh, meals for Lifeline Christian Mission. If you were here yesterday, let me see your hand. Okay, we had a great time. Listen, it is so awesome as a church to be able to come together and just to serve with each other like that. Just a great day to have fun, um, except for Jackie was picking on me all day. Okay, if you know Jackie Carter, you know how she is. Just picked on me the whole time. No, I don't need your sorrow. I just need one of you to take Jackie out later. Okay, just kidding. So this morning, I was in the prayer room. And Vince Wagner asked me if I was excited about the big game today. And I said, yes, Vince, I am. I'm very excited about the Catalan Derby. FC Barcelona playing against Espanol, big rivalry in Spain. Okay. He had no idea what I was talking about. But... So how many, of you, how many of you are excited about the Super Bowl today? Okay. Boy, that's not very many of you. Dude, there's a dude in the Rams jersey. He's not even clapping. Okay. All right. So, so let me just guess, if you were to root, how many of you are going to root for the Rams today? All right, any Bengals fans in the house? Security, get them. That's not fair. Eddie's actually a 49er fan, okay, and so he would root for anybody playing the Rams, okay? So anyway, Eddie, Jesus still loves you, okay? I'm not sure Pastor Rob would say that to you, but I am willing to say that Jesus still loves you. All right. So anyway, today, uh, if you have your Bible, open it up to Ruth chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, grab your phone, open up your Bible app. If you don't have either one of those, just listen to me. I want to read today's passage to you. It's not going to be up on the screen because I didn't tell them I was going to do this. But you just have Ruth chapter 1 open. And so if you don't have either one of those, just listen to me as I read the story. Close your eyes if it helps you. <clears throat> just make sure that when I'm done reading, you open them back up. Okay, John, keep your eyes open. Okay, all right, Ruth chapter one, <clears throat> starting in verse one. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi 
said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's homes. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown your, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said to her, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more, any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You know, today we're starting a new series <clears throat> entitled Character Still Counts. And I know that sounds like something that might be a school motto, or it sounds like something that like an athletic department might put on the back of their team's jerseys, you know, character counts. But we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about character and how it still matters. And you know, there's a big difference between character and a reputation. You see, a reputation is what other people think of you, but character is who you really are. Okay, do you understand that? A reputation is what other people think of you, but your character is who you really are. Like, we can fool people. People can look at us. We can have a good reputation while still having very poor character. And so it's easy to fool others, but we can't fool God. And so your reputation is what other people think. Your character is who you are. And so in this series, we're going to look at six different qualities that are important for us to be people of character. And so each one of these ought to be characteristics that are found in our lives. And so this, isn't, this series isn't about making you feel bad if those six don't currently define who you are. But hopefully it'll be a challenge to us to say, man, this is what I need to work on. I need to work on these things in my life. And so this first word that we're going to look at, it's up on, it should be up on the screen here any second now, is this word loyalty. The word loyalty, and that's what our story that we just read in Ruth chapter 1 is all about. Interestingly enough, I love to go online and, and like search for different stories, okay? And so I went to Google, and I typed in stories about loyalty. You know what I found? I found nothing but dog stories, Okay? <laughs> Like, there were no stories, man. We as human beings must be terrible. Because there weren't any stories about us as humans being loyal. Almost every story I found was about how a dog was loyal to its master. There were stories of dogs who defended their owners against intruders or other animals. I saw one recently on TV. It was like this dog got all growly because I think it was a bear 
that was trying to come. And, and the dog, so those are some stories that you find. Or, or there, you read stories of loyalty where like, like you'll see videos of this if you look at these things at all. Uh, like a master has been gone for a while. Maybe they've been at college or maybe they've been in the military. They've been gone for years and that person will come back. And even though they haven't seen him, man, this dog just goes crazy when they finally see him. It's such a beautiful thing, okay? But the other one that I, that I read, I read this one story, and I actually read it in several different places. But I read this story about this dog uh, in Japan that used to uh, walk with his master to the train station every day. And so he would walk with his, trains, with his master to the train station every day when his master would go off to work. And I don't know if the dog went home, if it just stayed at the train station. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I just know this, that one day uh, the master had something go wrong and he passed away. And the story goes that the dog spent the next nine years going back to that train station every day waiting for his master to come back. Okay, and for anybody that knows the whole story, I'm sure I just butchered it. Okay, but what I do know is that I read it in several different places. There are statues to this dog in Japan. Okay, matter of fact, I think there is a statue of both the dog and his master at the train station that the dog used to wait at. Okay, and so every time I looked for stories of loyalty, I read about nothing but dogs. So I started thinking about loyalty in my life. And in our lives. And I, and I wondered uh, about things. I, I was thinking in my own life. I've had the same car insurance for 34 years. You want to know how I picked my car insurance company? It was the one that my parents used. Okay? So I've had the same car insurance company for 34 years. When I married my wife, my wife worked at Wells Fargo. So what that means is for a little over 29 years now, I've been married and my accounts have been at Wells Fargo as well. Okay, I'm a little more committed to one of those relationships. I'll let you figure out which one. I'm not getting paid for any endorsements. This isn't meant as a commercial, but I thought about it. I've only had, and I don't have my cell phone on me, I've only had one cell phone provider. I've never switched. No matter how many times they try to get you to switch, I've stayed with one. Maybe it's because I'm too lazy to switch, okay? okay? No one needs to agree with that over there, okay? Maybe it's just that I'm too lazy, but one cell phone provider. And again, I'm not, I'm not standing up here trying to be a commercial, but this one is pretty important to me. From a very early age, I became a drinker of Diet Coke, okay? Don't you dare, don't you dare try to offer me Diet Pepsi. They are not the same. Okay, like you ever go to a restaurant, if you're a Diet Coke person, you know this, you go to a restaurant, and I say, can I have a Diet Coke? And they say, Diet Pepsi okay? I said, no, I'll have water. Okay, and so people will always try to say, oh, they taste the same. Wrong. One tastes like a nectar straight from God, and one tastes like cough syrup. Okay, there's no two ways about it. And so this might be the thing I'm the most passionate about in life, is Diet Coke. Wow, I got some work to do. Uh, so anyway, I was thinking of some other things, and I was thinking about just people in general. Like I read, the average employment, for the average person that's employed right now, their average length of employment at their job is only 4.1 years. 
Okay, so some of you are sitting there and you're like, man, I've worked at my same company for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I talked to someone after first service. He's been with the same company for 40 years. You know what that means? That means there's some other people that don't make it very long. Now, there's some other people that don't make it very long. And if you're under 40, it's even worse. Now, maybe it's because you're young and you haven't had that many jobs. But the average person under 40 has only been at their job for 2.75 years. People have been with their banks for about 16 years. And this goes back to me. You're just too lazy to switch. doesn't mean they're great. You're just too lazy to switch. The average person drives their car for six years. I thought Dave Ramsey must be horrified at that. Because what that means is most of us, right about the time we pay off our car, we're getting rid of it and getting a new car payment, okay? That just seems like a poor decision, but that's, that's a lesson on stewardship for a different time, okay? The average person's been in their house somewhere between 8 and 16 years. This one really bothered me. It says the average marriage only lasts 8.2 years. And this last one I thought was interesting. You know, at West Valley, we've only had two senior pastors in almost 50 years, Okay? In 50 years, we've only had two senior pastors, lead pastors, whatever you want to call them. The average pastor only stays at a church four years. And so all those things are indicators of our loyalty. I I don't know how you would define loyalty. I, I looked up different definitions. Loyalty is a strong feeling of support or allegiance. Loyalty is a faithfulness to commitments and obligations. Loyalty is being faithful to a sovereign government leader or cause. But the definition that I like the most, and there's a book that Pastor Rob and I are using as we go through this series, it's not strangely, it it makes sense that it's entitled, Character Still Counts, and it's written by a guy named James Merritt. This is how he defined loyalty. Loyalty is being faithful to the people you love, the principles you believe in, and the priorities that are most important. Let me say that again. Loyalty is being faithful to the people you love, the principles you believe in, and the priorities that are most important. You know, I I read from it already, but in the Old Testament, we find this book entitled Ruth. And not so surprisingly, the main character of the book of Ruth is Ruth. Okay, thank you for those of you that got that. If you didn't get that, I'm a little concerned at this point. But Ruth is a short book. And really, the book of Ruth is a love story. The book of Ruth is a love story, but as we read the beginning of it, that love story is possible because of Ruth's loyalty. Interestingly enough, we have an Old Testament book written about a woman, which that's shocking enough in in those days anyways, but we have a book about this woman, Ruth, and she's not even an Israelite. Okay, you may not understand how shocking that is, but that is really shocking. There's an Old Testament book written about a woman, and she is not even an Israelite. She is an outsider. She's not just an outsider, she's a Moabite. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more a little later on, but the Israelites don't like the Moabites. God told them to stay away from them. And yet that's who Ruth is. Let's go back to Ruth 1, and Ruth 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the days when judges ruled, so before the kings, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Oh, how bad it must have been in Israel if they thought to themselves, man, I'm going to go next door and live in Moab. I don't want to use any specifics, but, but it's, it's like if you, if you, whatever country you want to think of in the world, if like they hate their next door neighbor, it's like they thought, man, things are so bad here. I'm going to go into a land that I hate. That's what they're doing. 
The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. And so his two sons, like I said, they've gotten so bad, they're going to this land of Moab. And it only takes us a couple of verses. We get to verse 3, and we read something horrible. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So now Naomi is this stranger in a strange land, and her husband has passed away. But then as you get to verse 4, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. You know, this book is about Ruth, about the story of Ruth, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But man, what a story Naomi is. What a story of sadness and difficulty and challenge and trial. The idea that things are so bad in their homeland that her and her family are going somewhere else. And when she goes there, not only does her husband die, but her two sons pass away as well. You can only imagine her grief and her struggle and her difficulty. And maybe her sitting there going, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why are these bad things going on in my family? And so at some point she hears that things have gotten better in Judah. And so now she says, okay, Orpah, Ruth, I'm going home. I'm going back where I'm supposed to be. You know, and then we read in verses 8 through 11 where she's saying, listen, go home. Go back to your families. Go back to your people and find husbands. And that makes sense because Naomi knows there is no future for her daughter-in-laws in Judah. She couldn't imagine a situation where, where an Israelite would marry a woman from Moab. And so because she cares for them, because she loves them, she's telling them to go home and find new husbands. You know, some of you might be familiar with this story because for many, I don't know if it's still in fashion nowadays, but like 30 years ago, 29 years ago, it was quite in vogue to use Ruth chapter one, verses 16 and 17 at some point during your wedding ceremony, even though it's a, it's a daughter-in-law talking to her mother-in-law that was still quite popular. I'm embarrassed for anybody that did it. Okay, okay, maybe my wife and I did, okay? <laughs> but anyway, we read through here, and Naomi is encouraging them to go home, and Ruth isn't going anywhere. Ruth isn't going anywhere. And I don't judge Orpah for her going home, but it says in there, it says that Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so if you're looking for a statement of loyalty, you're looking for a story about loyalty, it's Ruth and her commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so in his book, Character Still Counts, James Merritt, James Merritt shows four ways that Ruth was loyal. And today we're just going to look at three of them. And I think they're really important. First, he says that she was loyal to her family. At that time, there wasn't the worst position. Like, it's not a good place to be today. Okay? But at that time, there wasn't the worst situation to be in, to be a widowed woman who was childless. So imagine being a widowed woman who was childless in a foreign land. It just didn't get any better or any worse than that. Naomi was experiencing that. Ruth was experiencing that and was both of those. And so that foreign land wasn't going to open their arms up to Ruth as she went back to Israel. I was thinking about our Statue of Liberty and if you remember, like I have coins from like, I think the 200th anniversary of the Statue of Liberty that I got when I was just a kid. I don't even know why I ordered them. I just thought they were cool. 
And on one of them, it has a quote from the Statue of Liberty. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Like it's meant to be something that welcomes people to our shores. That is not the welcome that Ruth was going to get as she was going back to Israel. They were not going to be opening her arms, their arms to her. As a foreigner, Ruth wasn't going to be allowed to worship with the Israelites. Ruth was going to have a hard time finding a husband because they knew that they weren't supposed to marry foreign women. And so like I said earlier, I don't judge Orpah for going home. I'm amazed by Ruth and her loyalty to Naomi and to her family. She was giving up a lot in order to be loyal. We could spend a whole sermon. We could spend several sermons talking about what it means to be loyal to our families. But Ruth shows us what that looks like. She was loyal, not only to her family, but she was loyal to her friends. In, Ruth, in, in verse 16, Ruth says to Naomi, your people will be my people. And so Ruth was telling her something important because if somebody was important to Naomi, they were not going to be important to Ruth. If they were Naomi's friends, they were now going to be Ruth's friends. And I don't really know how this played out exactly, but in his book, James Merritt describes, describes Ruth not as a daughter-in-law, but as a forever friend to Naomi. You know, we all have friends. Hopefully we all have friends. Hopefully we all have people that we consider that we're ourselves close to. But some we're super close to, and some we're just, you know, kind of friends. Okay? Some people that are, that are super close and some that aren't. We have some that we can count on no matter what. And then we have some other people that we call our friends and we say, yeah, they may or may not be there. Like some of our friends, if you're moving, you know that you could count on them being there on Saturday morning early to help you move. And then you have that other type of friend that when you're moving on Saturday morning early, you know that they're going to be conveniently out of town or busy or they pulled a hamstring or something. Okay? Like we all have those friends like that. We have those friends that don't matter how bad things get. Your electricity's turned off. Things are terrible. We all have those friends that we know are going to be right there with us. And then we also know the people that aren't going to be, that aren't going to be anywhere near us. Ruth was that forever friend to Naomi. She was sticking with Naomi no matter what. You know, I think as I was thinking about this point, it's easy to think about these things. It's a little more difficult when you start to think specifically about people. And I could think in my life of those people that have been there for me during the difficult times of my life. I could think of those, those people that when things were hard, they were right there with me. I can also think of people that are my friends that when life was hard for them, I tried to be there for them. I tried to be there during difficult times. Um, I remember my best friend, 20-something years ago, was getting divorced. And that was not what he wanted. And the next day, I was going to go down and help him move. And I just remembered thinking that night, going, you know what? I don't know that I think he should be in that apartment by himself tonight. And so I remember talking to my wife and just saying, hey, Christina, do you mind if I drive down to Huntington Beach and spend the night down there? And I know that that mattered to him. And I know that in my life, he's been there for me in those difficult moments as well. You know, anyone can be a friend during the good times. You know, when there's sports games to go to or nice dinners to go to, it's really easy. Anybody can be a good friend then. But are you still a good friend to the people in your life when 
there aren't any games and there aren't any dinners and they can't do anything for you. Because that's what real loyalty to your friends is, is being there when they have nothing to give you, nothing to offer, and yet you're still right there with them. So in this book uh, I was reading, he told this story about Bill Clinton. So if you were old enough, you remember that Bill Clinton was president in the 90s, okay? And so if you're old enough to remember Bill Clinton, I don't need to tell you how Bill Clinton got himself in trouble. If you're younger than, than, than someone who was old enough to remember this, let me just say this. He got himself in some trouble, okay? We don't need to go into the details of his trouble right now, but just know that he got himself into some big-time trouble. But this is a story that I read. It says, just three months after the scandal of Bill Clinton broke and he was catching fire everywhere, Time Magazine had a 75th anniversary dinner in New York and a crowd of more than 1,000 people were coming to that dinner to celebrate Time Magazine. And so Billy Graham was going to be there, maybe the greatest evangelist, you know, that we've ever known. Billy Graham was also going to be at this dinner, but he was not supposed to sit at the same table as Bill Clinton. As a matter of fact, the guy that was supposed to sit next to Bill Clinton was a former baseball player, one of the all-time great baseball players that most of you probably don't even know who he is, New York Yankee legend Joe DiMaggio. And so Joe DiMaggio was supposed to sit next to Bill Clinton. And I think because of Bill Clinton's troubles, Joe DiMaggio said, no, thank you. He said, I don't want to sit next to Bill Clinton. And so when Billy Graham found out about this, despite their disagreements on how we all ought to live our lives, Billy Graham was President Clinton's friend because he volunteered to go and sit next to Bill Clinton at this dinner. And so when President Clinton's approval rating was at its lowest, Billy Graham's friendship loyalty was at its highest. And that's really a great story for how you and I ought to be. We ought to be loyal to our friends. We don't condone things, we don't overlook things, but we're there to love people. And we don't just ditch them when they do something wrong. So we're supposed to be loyal to our family, we're supposed to be loyal to our friends, and lastly, Ruth was loyal to her faith. Think back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. She says, your God will be my God. And what we know is that is what happened. Ruth was committing not just to Naomi's people, but she was committing to Naomi's, to Naomi's faith and to Naomi's God. And again, remember, the Moabites, they were born into scandal. As a matter of fact, you know, the Israelites had good and bad relationships with many of their neighbors, okay? Sometimes they disliked them. Sometimes they got along. Moabites, man, they were some of the worst. As a matter of fact, this is what Deuteronomy 23 says about the relationships the Israelites are supposed to have with the Moabites. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. Man, there ain't no Ammonite or Moabite that's allowed in the church, that's basically what that's saying. They aren't allowed to go in. They are to the 10th generation. It's not just like this person, but down the line. Even them, they're not allowed in. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pether and Aram Naharim, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. God is making it clear to the Israelites, man, the Moabites aren't good people and I don't want you to have anything to do with them. 
So to summarize that, they're not allowed to worship. I don't even want you to become friends. And despite that being the kind of welcome that Ruth was probably going to receive from the Israelites, she wasn't going anywhere. And she was not only committed to Naomi's people, but she was committed to Naomi's faith in God. And so she left her old ways to follow Naomi's God. She came to know the God of Israel. And as you see the book of Ruth, and it's just a short read, I'd encourage you to read it. God blesses her. Like God, I I know what God said about the Moabites, but God blesses her. I mean, she's got a book in the Old Testament, okay? I, I know what Deuteronomy 23 says about her, but God honors and rewards her loyalty and her faithfulness. Because despite her being a Moabite, she not only finds a husband, but she finds an honorable husband. She finds a good man. She gains respect and admiration amongst the people. God blesses her loyalty. She becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Like, how amazing is that? This Moabite woman is the great-grandmother of King David. And not only that, read Matthew chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6 in Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus. And it says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's a whole other story that she's in there. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And so this Moabite woman not only finds herself the great-grandmother of David, but she finds herself listed in the genealogy of of Jesus. She's loyal to her family, to her friends, and to her faith, and God rewards that. And so my challenge for us this morning is to be loyal to our families. I want to challenge you all to be the best husband, to be the best wife, to be the best son and daughter, aunt and uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is that you can be. As Ruth was an example for us, Stay true to those that you've committed to, even when it's challenging. Like we see in the story of Ruth, I want to challenge you to be loyal to your friends. Be the kind of friend that people can count on. Be the kind of friend that shows up when things are hard, not just when things are easy. Be loyal in your willingness to be there for them. And even sometimes being a friend means to confront them when things are going on that shouldn't be. But most importantly this morning... I want to challenge you to be loyal in your faith in God. We're constantly being pulled in different directions. What God's word says is constantly being contradicted by what our world says. And what I want to challenge you to do is to stay true to what God's word says. No matter how difficult it is, no matter what a challenge it is, stay true, be loyal to our Father in heaven. And so there's some questions that I want us to ask ourselves about our loyalty. Because I think the way we answer these questions will tell us today if we are loyal to our faith in God. The first one simply says, how am I doing? We're not going to have time to look and to read all the verses that are going to be on the screen. But you could read them later. It says, how am I doing about living in obedience to God? You know, Jesus says it over and over and over again. But in John 14, 15, it just simply says, if you love me, keep my commands. Are you living in obedience to God's word today? Second question, how often do I make it to church? I'm preaching to the choir today. You're here, okay? 
I'm preaching to the choir, but how often do I make it to church? Because Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to not give up meeting together. You know, Pastor Rob and I were talking this week about this because, you know, I started coming to church like he did. He, he wasn't forced to come. I started coming to church on my own. My parents didn't come. Nobody else in my family came. And so when I started coming to church, man, I started coming to church every week. I went to Sunday school every week. I went to youth group on Sunday nights, and I went to Bible study on Wednesday nights. Like, I was always at church. And it wasn't like someone was trying to force me to go. I went because I wanted to go. And it seems like it's so easy for us to come up with excuses why we can't be where God wants us to be. Do not give up meeting together, as Hebrews 10 tells us. How often do we spend time reading God's word and in prayer? You know, Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Man, if Jesus needed to get up early to pray, how foolish are we if we think we don't need that too? Like if the Son of God needed to pray to his Father, how much more do you and I need it? And then also in Psalm 119, David writes, How can a young person, or really any of us, Stay on the path of purity. And he says, by living according to your word. Another question to ask ourselves is, how generous am I to the Lord? And whenever we talk about generosity, we could be talking about our money. But we're talking about everything, our time, our talents, our treasures. Matthew 6 says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Why? Because those things don't wear out. And they don't rot away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. The last question, and we could ask a million questions, but the last question I want to ask us this morning is this. When I'm facing tough decisions, how much time do I spend trying to figure out what God would want me to do? When facing tough decisions, when facing tough situations, how much time do I spend trying to figure out what God would want me to do? I don't know if you realize this or not, but the world is not trying to push us in the same direction that God is. And so quite often we need to be making sure that we are seeking God's will and seeking God's guidance. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to be seeking God's will for our lives. And when we do that, it says that we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ruth was loyal to her family, to her friends, and to her faith. And I, I guess my encouragement to us would be to follow her example today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Ruth, her story, her life, her loyalty. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that as we think about our own lives, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest, to see where we come up short. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the areas where we're doing well. And we just pray you'd help us to continue to strive each day to do our very best. Most importantly, Lord, to be loyal to you. Because when we're loyal to you, everything else is going to fall in line. So we say thank you to you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.
get off my rebellion.